Hey, welcome to the Gig Life Podcast. I'm your host, Stevie Taylor. My guest today is bass player Phil Stack. Phil is a multi-instrumentalist, really. He plays piano and guitar, but mostly known for his bass playing, having played in James Morrison's band for many years. But in the early 2000s, Phil and some buddies formed the band Thirsty Merc, which is still going strong today. But he also has his own solo music. He has a couple of albums out, an EP, and his latest album he released very recently, and it's bloody good, eh? I love it. Anyway, let's hear from the man. This is episode 135, Phil Stack. Here we go. Hey, Phil Stack. Hey, Steve. How you going? Good man, self. Good, thank you. Yeah, thanks th- for having me. Thanks for having me in your studio. It's awesome here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So this is this where you record most of your, your yeah. solo stuff? Yeah, the, uh, the last album I did, um, songs, songs From a Hill. Yep. Is this the hill? hill? This is the was hill. Good. Right. Um, was mostly, I think, almost entirely done here, actually. Yep. Yeah, whereas the first album was a bit of, uh, a little bit here, but... Uh, mostly in a few different studios in Sydney at uh, Free Energy Device in Camperdown. Um, did some mixing at Sean Carey's place in Church Street. Um, but yeah, this last one I just did was mostly here. It was sort of born out of that necessity of uh, that lockdown that happened about uh, yep. this time last year. Yep. And, uh, you know, the kind of, well, I've got the time here. I'm here. I've got some microphones. I've yep. got stuff. Yep. <laughs> and... Uh, and yeah, things sort of evolved from there. And, and so there was yourself playing. You played drums on it too, didn't you? I played a lot of drums. You on played it, a lot of yeah. drums on it, and then um, Evan Manel played drums. Evan played some drums on it too. And, yep. And um, and Ben Vanderwall played drums. Right. On one okay. Track. Right. So did they? Those two guys both play on this kit. As so well? um, no, Evan sent some things remotely. Because oh, he's a he's a lefty. He's a lefty. Yeah. I mean, he they are actually Evan's drums. Evan, oh, okay. Yep. Evan's always uh, been very generous with uh, kits for me, so that's a hodgepodge of some of my gear and Evan's shells, old yep. luddies. Yep. Um, and uh, the session with Ben Vanderwall was, as I said, that lockdown happened last year, um, and Thirsty Merc were kind of on a bit of a band on the run, um, band on the run trip where we were out of Sydney when all that lockdown happened. Right. And um, we had we had to um, Were you running away from Well, the... we were out of town when it when it hit. <laughs> okay. And then and then we had these dates in Perth where Ben Ben Vanderwall lives and um we had some and we had like um, a month till these dates um, were on and if we went back to Sydney then we wouldn't you have wouldn't been able to out. go to Perth. Yeah. So we did this weird maneuver where we went up to Queensland and did picked up a few shows up there and then we had to go to Tad, the only state we could go to Perth from was uh, Tasmania because that was a low, low risk state. Yeah, yeah. By the way, I hate talking about this COVID stuff now, but I am. I'm doing it. Well, this is this it's, is it's getting to the. This is not depressing. This yeah, is quite fun. It's yeah, fun to talk about this, yeah. especially in retrospect. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. you know, it was like, well, we have to spend two weeks in a low, low risk state, which was Tasmania, yeah. in order to go to to WA to do our gigs there and fulfil the 
the um, 10, 8 or 9 gigs we had. And so we thought, well, we can do this. So let's let's string together a few, um, rather than just go and booking a hotel in um, Tasmania and obviously incurring more expense, we thought well, we can hook up some gigs. So we hooked up yep. a gig with like like a week or two notice, <laughs> hooked up some shows. Yep. And it ended up being really fun. The people down there were really hungry for it. Anyway, we did a couple, two weeks there or 14 days and we were able to go to WA and then um, it was still locked down here. So I, yep. I um, spent a few extra days there and in those few days I thought, I've got one of the great great drummers down here and I've got a friend's studio who's very generous and um, who records Ben all the time and I thought, oh, we'll just do something. So I'd just written this new song so I got Ben to play and that was a bit of a jazz kind of 3-4 thing mm. which is definitely beyond my capabilities as a drummer. So it was like, he's the perfect perfect guy. And then I came back here and sort of uh, finished that and that was one of the last songs I put on um, Songs from a Hill that mm. I put out this year. Mm. And I, I said to you earlier, and I even texted you during the week that last song. The, that's with Ben that, on it, that's, yeah. Yeah, right. Mm. That that made literally made me cry first oh, time. Oh wow! I heard that. Yeah, no one said especially that. Thank t- you. Especially towards the end, it yeah. just gets really, really ambient. There's a lot of voice in there, and yeah. like I'm, like I'm getting goosebumps now talking about yeah, it. Yeah. And I was listening to it in the car on the way out yeah. here as well. Just you've done so well oh, with that thank album. You. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, and we're also just talking too. It's it's a shame it's not out there more because it really is it's top notch thank you yeah man i'm not just i'm not just saying it you know um i think it's it's bloody good thank you yeah well i really appreciate you saying that Mm. it's um and yeah as you said yeah it's it it, look you know it would be nice if more people know about um this stuff of course i'm not going to be idealistic and go oh it doesn't matter at all like um (laughs) but but look but but in the grand scheme of of uh my being it it's 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 okay. It's not my job to sort of, you know, make people um, be aware. Um, I like it as such, but I, 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 I probably struggle a bit to make people more aware of it, you know, yep. that, that this kind of music is there because I guess I'm known as, I don't know, to, to, to various people as different things like a um, jazz musician for hire, a guy on electric bass who sings backing vocals in Thirsty Merc, yep. um, you know, to some people. To, probably to lesser people a songwriter, you yep. know? Yep. But in actual fact, that's the thing I spend all my time doing and thinking yeah. about is that. Yeah. Really, you know? Um, so, you know, um, but I do do it for me because yeah, it's just complete cathartic experience. As, as you were saying with that, like that track, it's like, it's just, I, I don't think about who's going to buy it. I don't think about what audience it's going to have or a demographic or yep. whatever. It's just it's whatever comes out, it's gotta get goes out. on the record and then it helps me. And then if people li- like it, I'm like, that's great. I really love that. It's not like I don't want people to like yeah, it, you know. <clears throat> so that's your second your second album and then you've done an EP too and then yeah. released singles off that. I did an EP in 2015. That was mm. the first foray into um my solo music um mm. i'd had a band before that called house of orange with evan and cameron dale which was like a prog three-piece band was playing yeah, right. that that gibson electric bass up there gibson eb2 1968 yep. um, which was a real is a real thunderous instrument and um it was a proggy sort of three-piece thing um but when i sort of gravitated um you know and that was we were so all those guys are so busy you know so we we uh we, that we sort of just stopped playing 
even though we're together for about 10 years. Mm. Um, yeah, and then I just gravitated to writing more piano-based music and then that sort of became, um, you know, noticeably a solo outlet. Uh, yeah. It just became more orchestrated like that as opposed to uh, complete rock, I guess, like that House of Orange was. Yeah, yeah having listened to that EP and, and the two albums over the last couple of weeks, you know, since we, we booked this... Mm. Um, yeah, from what you're saying there, you can actually you can hear in that EP that it is a lot more piano based. Mm. And then your second album, I guess, a little little bit more not pro- progressive in regards to progressive rock, mm. but adding other elements. But this this new one up on a hill, like every track's different. Yeah, it's got a different you know different sort of feel and yeah and not just piano based, but you know you can hit the basses. But it's, it's, I think it's more so your voice as well. Right, right. Yeah. I think I'm getting better as a singer as time goes on, you know, more confident and yep. exploring what what that's like for me, you mm. know. Uh, it's It's been a strange um, journey with, uh, you, know, um, you know, becoming a solo artist, um, obviously while still keeping all my band things going on mm. and freelance work. Mm. But it's it's been a sort of, um, um, you know, Un- uncovering, you know, my confidence with it is what it is, you know, because it's not like writing songs is new to me. It's not like, oh, I started writing songs in 2015. That's yeah. that's uh, that's why it's, you know, that's my first album. It's like, no, yeah. no, I've been writing for like, um, well, now it's probably 34 years since yeah. 1988 yeah. is when I f- first formed my first band. Right. And, um, you know, uh and and then writing for other people a bit and writing a bit in Thirsty Merc um, and 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 writing lots of stuff at home for me, but just never putting it out because of this, you know, weird, I don't know, just getting busy with other parts in life, uh, mm. thinking that no one will like what I do, um, you know, it's not ready, all the stuff that all the negative self-talk musicians go through, well, some, some do, yep. and... Um, and you know and then eventually going you know well two things i was getting i was getting better as a song i'm getting better as a songwriter so 2015 i felt i did feel i was ready to put some worthy things out um but also just um going oh bugger it you know kind yeah, of thing it's like well bugger all that shit that i that stopped me doing this for 15 years which is really what it had had done you know from putting things out and mm. and, uh, and yeah it's just the journey it's it's, it's taken me on yeah yeah, cool. All right, let's. Can we roll right back to the yeah, beginning can. now? How it all sort of came about. You're you're from Dubbo. Originally. Yeah. When did music start? Did was music around in Dubbo? Do you have a musical family? Yeah. Um, well, my my dad is a, a wonderful bass baritone sort of singer. He was and uh, not professionally. He's a math math teacher by trade, but he um, um, he was in amateur musicals and loved loved sort of all that Gilbert and Sullivan kind of kind of thing and um and he actually also taught me keys on the piano like mm. um ma- from a mathematical point of view like or you know with one flat it's like this and you go up a fourth and you add two flats it's b flat and then up another one and then it's three flats is e flat and mm. sort of i guess we, now on, what i know is the the, the circle, circle of fifths you know yeah, you know yeah. um but he didn't talk about it like that yeah, he, yeah. he kind of mathematically kind of said these are the flats and and, and you know looking back it's really helpful you know that's and interesting he, and he could sight sing without 
kind of reading music himself in a way, just from intervals kind of thing. Wow. So, um, you know, and my mum sort of plays church kind of piano, um, um, you know, not, not again, not, not professional level, but just, you know, music was always, it, it was always around, around in the house, but I wouldn't say like my parents are those kind of parents. It was like, oh yeah, my parents were into the Beatles and they led yeah. Zeppelin. They're, they're not those kind of parents. They were into two one of brass yep. and like, um, you know, I remember my mum had a Cliff Richard record and, you know, yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, my mum had Cliff Richard. Yeah. And, and um, oh, what's his name? Gene Pitney. Yeah, right, right. All that I don't think my mum was that hip either. <laughs> but, you know, but I sort of found Beatles, the fun, found the music of the Beatles when yep. I was about 10 years old. And uh, I taped, I went to my auntie's house and she had the records and I taped them onto cassettes and that's how, that's really where my love of music, you know, as like, oh, I want to, What's this? You know, teaching myself piano and mm. working it out and all that kind of. Thing. That's when that really started. Mm. What was the first Beatles album? Well, you know, they they were like um, a Beatles box set, okay. so they weren't even the records. They were all the songs in different orders. Okay. Um, uh, but the first CD I bought was uh, Abbey Road, so mm. I, I liked the later stuff. First, and yeah. then I went back and yeah, yeah, I love it all now. Yeah, that's good. You see, for me with the Beatles, it was the rock and roll stuff because my dad was playing oh, stuff in go. bands. Yeah, cool. Yeah, and then the more that ex- more experimental stuff came later. Yeah, yeah. Mum and dad didn't have that stuff. Right, right. I found that Beatles stuff elsewhere. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so was it always bass to start with? No, it was guitar. I was playing guitar. Yep. Um, and teaching myself piano, as I said, and and then I was playing like clarinet in the school band and playing a bit of drums and. Mm. Um, around the place and um and then it was kind of like okay we're going to start a rock band one of us needs to play bass kind of thing okay and i'd had a dream about playing the bass i i I can't remember the dream specifically but it was um it was something around that time and i went and i had this sort of thing that that's what i was gonna do and um and it sort of made sense because i don't have massive fat fingers but they're not dainty as well and it just kind of worked and um yeah and i so i sort of uh, and i wasn't really uh, attached to the guitar as such it was it was more um functional you know as as it is now you know and um and the electric bass you know um was yeah a natural thing from there And um, and I took up the the double bass later on, and that's really became my love, you know. Yeah. Um, whereas the electric bass is kind of functional for me now, in a sense, you know what I mean? Right. Uh, yeah, I was going to ask you this later, but you've answered that question. But yeah, was it was it the double bass? Did you start playing jazz first and then transition to no, electric bass? No, other way. The other way around. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I've never been to Dubbo, um, and I'm not aware of you know, what the music scene is like now or what it was like back then. So what sort of avenues besides sort of school band stuff? Um, were well, the venues that, that you often played? What's the scene? What well, the, the school, scene? I mean, the, the, like, like anyone in, in uh, high school, the school band was a strong thing. We had a strong program. We had strong teachers. Mm. Um, but what, what, really, um, what really happened for me was I... I started to get into to jazz music, you know, and um, and I there was a sort of a scene of local trad musicians. One of them was a doctor, a GP. <clears throat> One of them was a music teacher from another school, uh, and then a, a drummer around town. And they were like 
Benny Goodman quartet kind of trad guys, you know. And I was, you know, playing electric bass, obviously, in my sort of rock band. Um, and I guess I was about 14, 15. And, you know, these guys were um, self-taught, largely self-taught musicians uh, with great ears who playing trad jazz, who loved going to these local festivals. So, like, the Forbes Jazz Festival, the Parks Jazz Festival, Newcastle, any any of these kind of uh, country jazz festivals which specialise, you know, uh, in, in trad jazz mostly. And, um, and yeah, I remember that the... the uh, the our um, uh, pianist was a is a, a GP, and he would sort of grab me by the scruff of the neck, almost kind of like, okay, come on, like. Uh, so I'd go. He he'd be like, my mum would take, uh, you know, take me to the doctor for something, and and he'd be like, great, okay, um, yeah, so take, you know, maybe I've got the flu or something, and uh, take these antibiotics. Okay, great. Now the Forbes Jazz Festival is like, <laughs> I'm, and you're going to come with us. Like it was more, it turned into that because he was, a, he's a great doctor, but he was way more obsessed with music. So he, he'd, he'd like go home at lunchtime in his lunch break, just scoff some food and like play for an hour. Yeah, and right. I'd go around there and, um, and he couldn't, I don't, don't really know if he could read music or, or not, but it, it was it was almost like he would just be throwing me in the deep end. He was like, okay, start playing. What's this one? Is this in C minor, I guess? Yeah, anyway, you'll be right. Here we go, one, two, three, four, kind of thing. It was like, and I just had to go, oh, kind of <laughs> kind of just had to manage. And looking back, that was a really strong foundation for for jazz and improvisation and my ears, you know, mm-hmm. to be able to just – because he, he didn't – you know, I, I was probably um, – maybe knew more about harmony as it was but he was he was playing and he was playing by year and uh and so that was really you know valuable and 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 a great great start to that you know mm. were you reading at the stage did were you learn to was, read at I was, school i was reading yeah th- yeah that's what i mean i probably had i was probably having some formal training but i didn't really know about jazz and how right. things are put together so that trad jazz from those guys that played by year that was that was valuable, yeah. Mm. Yeah. So when did it progress outside of – when did your your learning progress from outside of school and outside of these guys to, to that so, different level? Yeah, so I was playing I was playing jazz. I was playing in the rock band. We were like a Triple J Unearth band when I was in year 10, one of the first mm. Unearth bands like in the same album as Grinspoon. Yeah, right. Yeah, so that was like um, – there's a CD round somewhere you'll find at a junk shop probably – Unearthed One, and that's it's got our band called Drown on it, and mm. there's Grinspoon and a few other things. Oh, cool. Um, and that's like that's in the early 90s, sometime their very first Unearthed. And, um, and so we were doing that, and 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 then I was getting I was into jazz equally, you know, like it hasn't changed, really. That's the thing. I yeah, thought yeah. at one state, you know, I'd specialize by, by age 30, anyway, th- that hasn't happened, but <laughs> that's jumping forward, but yeah, yeah I um, so. So I was there and I was like, well, I'm just going to do music now. And I, I stopped doing any work at school. Like, you know, up until then I'd at least turn up because my dad's a math teacher there. I'd sort of have to turn up and I remember my dad sort of coming to me and going, are you, you're not going to do any work, are you? You're just going to do mu- this music. And I'm, I'm like, yeah, to be honest, I am. And that's exactly what I did. And, um, and you know, we um, the only thing to do was – the obvious thing was to go to Sydney – and uh, sorry, was was your dad okay? Did he kind of yeah? He, did he like get that? Yeah, he got it. Like yeah. I'm sure he'd rather me study study harder, but yeah, yeah. he's smart enough to understand I wasn't going to, and I was 
I was eggs in one basket. I was like, I'm, okay. I, I, it wasn't like I had a, I didn't have this confidence. It was blind faith, really. It was like, yeah. I don't know what else to do. I can only do music. Yeah. That's it. It's chosen me. And I'm, uh, I guess I'll try and study at the con next year or something. Yeah. It was like that, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I didn't have any, you know, great, like, you know, um, c- confidence in the, to, to know that it was going to work out. It was mm. just like I didn't, I didn't know what else to do, and and, and there was, it didn't seem any obvious things. So I was quite relaxed about it. It Was like, okay, I, I'll uh, I'll go and do the jazz chord because I love jazz, and um, and I just started playing the double bass. This is in my last year of school. Um, we'd rescued a double bass from a storeroom in another school and it sat there for like six months mm. because I didn't really know how to play. I didn't really know the technique. And I found this great classical teacher called Sam Harvey. She gave me some some lessons and then I really got into it, just stuck into it to make up for lost time, you know, and came down to Sydney, had a lesson off Craig Scott, who is a, who's the um, bass teacher of the con, still there. And um, he sort of said, you, yeah, you, you'll 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 probably get in. You've got some work to do, but go and buy these records. Don't pay me for the lesson. Take that money. Go down to Ashwoods and these secondhand record stores in Pitt Street. Buy a Ray Brown re- record. Mm. Buy a Ron Carter record. Like on vinyl, these old vinyl stores. Um, and and I'll see you at the audition at the end of the year. And uh, so I just went okay. So and so I work really hard. And so instead of studying, I was just playing. I was just and I was still recording music on my four track like for rock music mm. so i was do- i was doing it all still you know like and uh and then i got into the con in sydney and i moved like straight away after the hsc I got out of there and and came down to sydney and sydney's been home ever since yeah so what was the audition like what, what did you have to um did, did you did you know before the audition, what you were going to not really. Be asked to play? I don't think so. Or do they just say it's kind of going to be like this? I can't. I can't remember. Okay. I can't remember if I knew or, um, you know, like I said, I just I just studied up on jazz as much as I could, um, and you know what it's like when you first when you when you first start an instrument. There's a massive acceleration in the first year or two, mm-hmm. you know. And that's what it was like. Even though I've been playing electric bass for a bunch of years, I hadn't really gone into soloing in jazz and stuff really. Um, but but the double bass just really spoke to me. Just, it's such a whole body experience and mm. vibration, and it was just um, you know. And the only, you know at the time I was like, oh, it's the only bass for jazz. It's got to be that, and that's why I got into it. Um, so um, yeah, the audition I, I think played with Mike Knock there, um, and. Um, yeah, probably some sight reading. Probably had to play a blues. I think I had to play a trans, maybe a transcription, or or maybe not. Maybe it was um, just a, a lead sheet of a couple standards. And mm. yeah, I, I don't, I don't know how hot I was, but I was, I was, you know, I was definitely already swinging in bands before that for a couple of years. You know, with those old guys. Um, well, I seem really old. They're probably only thirty-five. <laughs> <laughs> Forty. Seems old then, yeah. but um, yeah, um, yeah. So and and I got in and and then, yeah, that just didn't look back. Mm. Um, while you were going through the con, were you um, playing in bands 
out gigging and was it jazz stuff or rock stuff or was it a combination of both? So I kept my rock band together from school. Okay. Um, did they did they move to Sydney? Yeah. yeah. Our, our drummer is um, a, a surveyor. So he, he came down and he was studying surveying. Um, we kept the band going. Um, we had a, we, we'd, uh, we'd back, gone between a three-piece. So I was singing in that band sometimes and then uh, we got a – a singer back he'd gone and studied down in sydney as well and he came back into the fold but it was we weren't really doing a lot you know we didn't really know how to it's kind of funny because it's like i don't really know how to put a record out now but i certainly didn't know then mm. like band from dubbo coming down um the unearth thing had kind of dried up you know we'd done a few things for triple j in the later school and and you know we were just kind of lost souls but we but, but we you know we um we got a house together a period of time and we uh, did that all the while i'm I'm playing jazz around the place to support support okay. myself as a professional musician as such you know so i kept it i kept them both going uh, even though the rock i didn't make any money through the rock it was mm. i got i got involved in the jazz scene pretty quickly when i was 18 in um my first year of the con and in the second year of the con i met james morrison and um and started working in his band you know so um so i was touring a lot with him over those next bunch of years mm. But but keeping the rock band going, you know, yeah, it, that's it, cool. even though, like I said, it was it wasn't making any money. But and, and it wasn't a rock band playing covers. It was it was just original music. So we just go and do the odd shitty gig somewhere, you know. Yeah, gotcha. Um, can I just ask you that the transitioning between playing double bass and mm. then playing electric bass? Mm. Um, did that have any sort of negative impact on your hands and your wrists and? Or did it just become a muscle memory thing to be able to bounce between the two? Well, as it, I mean, as far as the negative impact on my physicality, I mean, I've paid the price now with back things and okay. hand issues. So as far as the double bass itself, yeah, there's, it, there is a, a whole physical thing yeah. with it yeah. that you, you need to take care of yourself and you need to work on relaxing. And I had to change my technique early on with mm. you know how tense i was and i'm still a very animated player but i, I used to be a lot more tense with it did somebody so, did somebody pick that out yeah 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 i remember craig scott was great for me okay. at the con i owe him a lot he was really encouraging and fostering and was he was really good at also um letting you be play the way you are going to play and you mm. know not just play the way I'm play the way I do kind of thing. He was like, yep. he could see the way people were developing, and he would really foster that. And yeah, the, along the way, I'd get I get, I'm sure hints from lots of other players as well about about um, technique and. Um, but as far as going from electric bass to double bass, um, it's all about that left hand um, technique. Um, you know, you use different finger a uh, different fingering with the left hand on the. Um, both the left and the right hand on mm. the double bass that you do with the electric, um, and um, and yeah, it, it, now it's like it's still different in the sense of if I don't play the double bass, if I'm playing electric electric bass on tour with Thirsty Merc, for example, and not taking the double, it's like I haven't played it at all. Yeah, right. You know, it doesn't really yeah, keep I've, me in. I've heard heard that. It doesn't really keep me in check at all. For I mean, you yeah. know, maybe a tiny bit, but not much. Yeah. Um. What was I just about to say? Um, oh yeah, some some guys that that play electric bass and double bass, they tend to play their electric bass. What this is this is audio, so you can't sort of see me, but that's sort of vertical, ver almost vertical to yeah. to be sort of similar. But you don't you you 
almost play your bass parallel, don't you? Well, I think because I, I came from the guitar and the rock and, yeah, and rock and blues, first, yeah, probably. Yeah. And yet, um, I mean, the guys who play it vertical, I don't say that a lot now, but I know I know it, it trans- transitioned um, in the early, late 50s, early 60s when people were playing double bass mm. and that's how they played then. Yeah. You know, the, the new electric bass players who were double bass players, like guys like James Jameson, Jameson yeah. you see him play with that sort of yeah, vertical yeah. kind of thing. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, no, I generally don't, I guess, on the on the, on the the electric. I guess I play it like an electric player in, in, in a sense. Um, uh, but my left hand's probably more like a double bass on the on the neck of an electric than than like the Jaco four fingered approach. That's just the way I've gravitated to. So yeah. what what do you mean by that then? Um, but, well, Jaco moving around. I'm, yeah. I understand that the whole Jaco thing, but yeah. So well, Jaco's left hand would be one two three four. Okay. And double bass is more one two four. Ah, gotcha. Skip three right. as much. So I probably do that more than I probably need to on the electric bass. Okay. Um, but that's it's pretty common, you know. It's um, yeah, right. there's a certain strength with that too. It's um, yeah. it's just different. Yeah, I mean, I can do it the other way uh, if I have to. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Um, okay, back to the James Morrison thing. So yeah. You, how did that come about that you're playing with James? Because. Did, so he obviously would have seen you play and well, invited you. No, it was it was I was part of the generations in jazz thing that happens every year in Mount Gambier, which is the a really large um, school stage band mm. um, where five thousand kids descend on Mount Gambier and um, have a festival and it's an amazing event. It's been going for like thirty odd years, and. Um, I was, and one of the things they do there is have a, you send in an audition tape for young musicians um, up to the age of 19, I think it is. And six finalists go there and they perform, play a song with the house band um, and um, James picks a winner. Mm. And then you get, you know, there was a scholarship, $10,000 worth of stuff and you make a record mm. kind of thing. Um and I won that wow. that that year, my my second year of the con, and um, so I was nineteen, maybe I was still eighteen, I can't remember, and uh, eighteen, nineteen, and um, yeah, and, and I I a few weeks later, or a few months later, James was looking for a bass player for his band, just by coincidence, and he rang me up and said, Do "You want to come and play for these gigs?" and and then. Um, yeah, we just kept playing together. <laughs> that's, yeah, sort yeah. Of, that's sort of how it happened. Though. I guess that was fortuitous that he needed someone around that time. Mm. Mm. And you played with him for a good six, seven years, is that right? Oh, 25 years. Oh, I don't know where <laughs> I'm still I going. <laughs> well, still, I mean, we still, we still play together. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I was his full-time bass player for um, until his son, Harry, yeah. recently, you know, um, well, uh, probably... You know, sometime around 2016, I guess he was. Um, so I, I would um, teach Harry at the academy at James's uh, Jazz Academy, knowing full well I'm grooming him for the gig. Yeah, of course. <laughs> but of I course. knew that earlier. Course, like, yeah. When he was 13, he came over for a lesson. You know, I, so he must be 23 now. So 10 years ago, something like that. And uh, James is like, "Can you show him some stuff?" I'm like, "Yeah, sure, okay." So he comes over, and he was already playing great because he's like James. He just sort of you know, can sort of watch people do things and be able to do it. He's very natural and he's got that real bass player's aesthetic where he doesn't overanalyze it. 
anything and overcomplicated, he can just kind of groove and do it. And he's James's son, and mm. James is, swings on any instrument. So yeah. Harry's got that. And um, so I remember thinking that is uh, even saying to James, like, he's not going to need doesn't need much help, mate. He's just going to be like he's going to yep. be great, you know. Yep. And uh, so so yeah, and James is obviously it's it makes sense that he plays with him as, he, as his other son does. I, I mean, I hadn't done the gig um, full time for for the last 10 years uh, for the last 10 years before that i guess from 05 to 2015 anyway because uh, of thirsty merc so i'd i'd wrong i'd said that to james uh, when the merc started to do a lot of gigs um early on mm. and get some success I, I said look i'm going to prioritize this now just to let you know so if you want to get someone else mm. he said no i want you to still do it when you can so that was that was good. So we, we I, you know, I feel like with James, it's a lifelong thing. You know, I, I, I did a few gigs in the last few months with him anyway, and mm. um, you know, we're sort of good friends. And so, yeah, there's always stuff going on. Yeah. One of the questions I asked James when he was on the podcast, um, it was about his kids, and I and I said to him, "What did you? Uh, were you um, like at your kids to learn their instruments?" And he said, "No, nah. no." Nah. Yeah. Didn't 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 touch it. He waited for them to come to him. Mm-hmm. And then he would say, "Well, are you really ready?" And if they said, "Nah, not probably not." Well, I don't want to know, you know. Yeah, and he yeah. just which is really good. I mean, I I just had it in my head that you know, someone of that world class to sort of bring the kids up, you know, you'd you'd sort of start them early and that mm. kind of thing, but it was so the opposite of that. Yeah, well And look at look at how well they play now. Yes, right, exactly. You gotta find find it yourself, don't you? Well yeah, I guess he's thinking about he how he found it, you know. Like, yep. I know he was made to go to piano lessons, but yep. but yep. apart from that, as far as being a jazz musician, that was that was him wanting to do it and him finding out and him doing it yeah. by just by practice, by being there and by going and doing gigs with people and mm. and which is the best thing for a jazz musician, you know. Like mm. Um, so yeah, I'm sure he thought back to that, to his own experience and thought what, you know, what worked? Oh, well, not, certainly not shoving it down their throats and making yeah. them do it. Yeah. So yeah, I, I mean, I think music should be like that anyway. Yep. It's, it's, um, I mean, it's, it's probably a, it's probably a healthy marriage of the things of, 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 of that. But also when, when kids are young, you, you do have to kind of, to a certain extent, go well. If we're going to pay for lessons, you know, then you've got to exactly. you've got to do some practice. You know, I mean, exactly. But you know, I when I had some piano lessons as a kid, and my heart wasn't really in that type of thing. You know, yeah. read the reading the music and doing that. So I, I would sort of look at the book on the way in the car. I remember it was a fifteen minute trip to my mum would drive me to Wongarvan, which is fifteen minutes, and and I'd uh, sort of try and imagine playing in my head because i just hadn't practiced so like <laughs> so but you know it's it, it is but but that, that that doesn't mean i wasn't passionate about music i just wasn't passionate about that so much yeah yeah um what do you think's been the biggest takeaway for you having worked with james what's the biggest lesson i reckon um yeah that's that's uh that's a good question i mean so many things early on i remember it was like um you know everything must groove groove is everything and mm-hmm. everything must groove it wasn't like a thing that was said but i remember playing like a corporate gig somewhere uh, sometime and he gave me like a bass solo and uh 
and I was probably obviously into maybe I was into Eddie Gomez at the time, who's like a real um, you know upper register um, kind of. Uh, not that he, he, I mean, he grooves, but it's like that's not the main thing about his playing. It's a virtuistic kind of thing. I was probably trying to do a bit of that too much during this corporate kind of groovy gig. And I remember him saying, hey, when I give you a solo like that, you just got to, you know, lay it down kind of thing still. And um, um, I remember that and taking that into every musical situation, I guess, you know, that mm. things have got to groove all the whole time. They've got to feel good if, it, if you're going to, if you're going to play. And so, um, you know, that that's one. And, um, I mean, just so many other little um, on the bandstand kind of a feeling thing to create, to create a, um, you know, an experience so that you bring the audience in, mm. with, which obviously James is a master at. And, um, yeah, yeah, lots of things. Mm. Did you would have got to play with David Jones? Yeah, at some yeah. stage. Um, yeah. Last night, I went and saw him perform at at the Seymour Centre. Oh, right. He was doing. What was he, a, doing? he was doing a. He did a his solo oh, um, soundscape performance. I was going to watch Midnight Oil. Otherwise, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, I know that was the that. next b- biggest ticket in <laughs> yeah. town. Yeah. So, um, what I took away from, um, because I've also had, um. Uh, David on the podcast. Oh, he's wonderful. But hadn't actually seen him play live until, and that was the first time I saw him play mm. la- last night. And besides his technical brilliance and his creativity, it's the groove, man. Mm. Like he just he just bopped and moved the whole time. Yeah, just smiled, <laughs> moved the shoulders. Yeah, like yeah. it was it was just it was phenomenal. Hey? Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, that would have been a real treat. Get yeah. to play with those guys. So, yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. Smiling assassin. He's a smiling. Yeah, someone yeah. said, you know, yeah, yeah. Because he plays the drums so amazingly. Yeah, yeah. He's always with this beautiful, peaceful smile. Yeah, yeah Dave's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and he's such a. I mean, I think the best thing about David is like probably that solo kind of thing in a sense of like, here's some drums, make me some music. You know, yeah, yeah. Because he's very spiritually connected and certainly got his um own thing going on on the instrument which i think is the most important element like if you're gonna ask what's the most important element i reckon is uniqueness i reckon that's the most important thing yeah Mm. um you you see a lot of i mean you were saying before you're not really into the social media thing but i watch a lot of reels on instagram and facebook and they pop up and i follow a few few drummers that you know do create sounds and it's really really good but every time i see them I always see them and go, I bet you David did that first. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was doing that stuff such a long time ago, you know yeah. what I mean? You know? Well, I guess everything on there has, you know, doesn't mean it's all been done, but no, no. It, it means it seems like we're seeing it for the first time or something because yeah, yeah. of the medium. And by the way, when I said I'm not into social media, I just mean I'm not very good at it. I, I, I'd like to be more open-minded with, um, the, you know. The promo type sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. It's a necessary evil and... And all that. Um, I'm certainly not into looking at it because any amount that I look at it makes um, makes me feel worse. <laughs> yeah, I, I understand. Yeah. But this one thing he was David was doing last night, and he had it just an SM57 microphone yeah. on on his table. That after he'd do his little, mm-hmm. so he probably performed about ten pieces all up, and then after a couple he'd get up and he'd talk, and then he'd sit down and he'd, he'd do the next thing. But the second or third last piece that he did, he had the microphone and he was using that whole microphone proximity to get 
bottom end out of his symbols. Like, oh, yeah. Whoa. Oh, what, what a great oh, thing to do. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He just sort of, he'd start spinning the symbol and then maybe just give it a scratch with a stick and then yeah, put yeah. the mic on it. And you, you can hear the top end and then this bottom end just yeah. comes in and filled the theatre. It was just, well, it was incredible. Was it a good turnout? Oh, could have been better. In the big theatre upstairs? Yeah, in that, uh, what's it called? The Astro. Oh, yeah. Yeah, up, up the stairs. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Would have been great to see a lot more people. Of course, there. yeah. But, um, yeah, I didn't know about it till quite late on. So mm. if I'd known, maybe I would have, you know. But everyone was at Midnight Oil, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a hard thing to, it's a, it was a hard thing to. Well, what was that, what was that like? It was almost four hours worth of, yeah, I was reading, I can't a, review, believe how I was long reading a review today about yeah, it. Yeah, was it favourable? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah. Um, yeah, I can't believe how long they played. It was yep. nearly four hours of. He's nearly seventy, um, Peter Garrett, and mm. uh, yeah, oh, I, Rob Hurst. Yeah, for four hours. Oh my god! Yeah, I saw him shaking his wrist a couple of times oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, with that massive backbeat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, it was it was fantastic. I, yeah, just realise how prog punk they are. Yeah, yeah, it's punk, you know. Yeah, man. No, make no mistake. Yeah, it's absolute like proggy punk. A lot, like a lot of it. Some really interesting sort of chordal movements as well, and. Mm. Um, Obviously, you know the lyrical whole thing, the passion, and and everything. But yeah, I was I was blown away. It was really good. I mean, you know, probably didn't need to be quite that long, but it was mm-hmm. like they had me. They certainly had me for three hours thirty. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I know, it. I know what you mean. I, when I read that, I thought, wow, that's. <laughs> but it, it made sense. It was like, of course, it was still the right thing to do in the circumstances. Like, yeah. is that going to be their last gig, or you know? So, yep. everyone, you know. Not many people left. It was they were there. I was like, you almost couldn't leave. It's like, it's like, yeah. and plus they hadn't played a couple of the massive songs. You know, I'm like, oh, that's right. They haven't played Power and the Passion yet. Stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. reading a, just before I came here. Actually, I was reading a, a review by Glenn A. Baker, mm. and he was at the show last night, and he was talking about Adam Ventura. Oh yeah, and um, he said that when Adam, you know, jo- you know, joined the band, they threw 96 songs at him. Yeah. To learn in a short period of time, yeah, wow. and they you played forty four of them last night or something like that. Did whatever, they play that many far yeah. Out. yeah, yeah, he did great. Yep. Um, it's great to see him. He's my old neighbour. We used to yep. live in uh, the same street in Marrickville, yep. and um, and uh, yeah, two bass players on that street, and it was um, yeah, it was it was it was heartwarming to see him yep. do so well and mm. bring the power power to that. It's completed it so well. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's talk about Thirsty Merc yeah. now and how that came about. Mm. So what were you doing? Um, did you meet Ray at 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 the con? Yeah, he was, was he well, con? not at the con per se. He used to come to my gigs at Soup Plus when I was playing okay. uh, with like Emma Pask and things mm-hmm. like that. He was a few years younger. He's two years younger. So um, we, we met at a mutual, uh, when I was at the con, I went to his house for a rehearsal because a mutual drummer friend of ours was like, um, do you want to, you know, we need a bass player for this band. I, I'm playing with this young guy. He's like a whiz on the keyboard kind of thing. Uh, and uh, come and play with us. I'm like, sure, or whatever, I'll come play. So I get there and there's this kid like in his school uniform kind of thing, like he's in year 10 and uh, playing like the shit out of the keyboard, like absolutely burning. I was like, wow, okay. And uh, not singing at that time. Mm. Um, and I couldn't play. I was busy. I mean, I was a busy working musician. I couldn't 
join the ba- another band that wasn't doing gigs, you know. Um, so I was like, I sort of left them to it. But Ray and I struck up a friendship, and um, and we started hanging out. And then, um, it, you know, then he had a Sony deal in the states. Uh, a, sol- a solo, a thing. solo thing. Okay. It didn't kind of work out. Went for like a year. He got an advance. He was going back and mm. forth a bit. Um, he came back and uh, was like, he was always hanging around our house. And we had our band, our rock band, you know. And um, Thirsty Mac was actually born. Not many people know, but it was actually born out of the three guys from Dubbo and Ray singing. Mm-hmm. That's sort of how that started. Um, and we sort of, we've already been, we were playing gigs around town, Ray and I as a jazz groove kind of a trio. Ray started singing and um, I was playing bass and Nick McBride was playing drums, a great drummer, Warren Trout sometimes. Mm. And um, yeah, and, and, and then he sort of was wanting to, because he'd had that deal over there that was kind of a bit more pop, you know, Justin Timberlakey before Justin Timberlakey kind yeah. of thing. Um, he wanted to play guitar and be in a rock band kind of thing. So he could see I had a rock band, you know, and loved that and it was sort of a already going. We had a great drummer and lead guitarist, so he came and played rhythm guitar and sang, you know. And um, so, you know, we kind of put it together and and we'd almost had the same idea in the same week. I'm like, we our singer's sort of joined the police force now and he's not really coming around and play. Why don't you come around and sing with us? And he's like... I need a band to try these songs out, you know, and it kind of, that's how it kind of happened. And that was 2001 or two. Mm. And, um, yeah. The songs that he, he brought in initially were that, was that part of the stuff that he had with the Sony thing that didn't work out or did Sony, whatever he'd done with them, that was theirs. That was that. Yeah. 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 Right. No new stuff. Yep. New stuff. And initially we were playing our nineties kind of grungy kind of, material as part of the sets as well you know what i mean uh and then it very quickly became you know a streamlined kind of kind of thing with the kind of 60s rocking kind of things like songs like wasting time and Mm. and that kind of and emancipate myself and those kind of rock guitar based two guitar based kind of things um that's they were the first batch of songs yeah Mm. so when did they start getting a bit of uh record company interest were they were they starting to see um, we, we, doing uh, stuff around? We sort of uh, got a little following up, you know. We mm. have 150 people and we go and do gigs and places. And, you know, at the time, A&R people would be interested in that. They would be like, oh, this guy's got a little following. You know, because it wasn't like with the internet now, like mm. it was it was like live. Oh, okay. And you didn't have to have thousands of people coming already. It was just like a bit of a buzz around town, just like, yeah. you know, just with a few people. And so we'd done that in six months or something mm. and, uh, you know, pressed our own CDs and like, you know, gave them out at the gigs and uh, had some friends helping and, you know. Um, and then, yeah, a label came, Warner came and um, I think we got a manager first and then and then a label came and, and signed us from that, yeah. What was that like when the label came, came along? It was exciting. Yeah, something you know, know. Guys had always been uh, early to mid twenties, and so I figure Ray would have been a little bit wary of. Well, he, he had some experience, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he had some experience with it, so which was invaluable because, mm. um, yeah, he knew what to sort of look for, and he knew that you needed a deal as such too. Right, you know what I mean? Um, you know, us double kids, we, we mm. were just sort of dicking around playing 
playing gigs around at places, not really. Maybe we'd send some stuff to some labels, I don't know. But, um, you know, we didn't have any big pop aspirations either, you know what I mean? I was playing jazz and then just enjoying writing these sort of weird grungy tunes with the band you know mm. but ray knew what he wanted you know he because he already had a taste of it mm. so he wanted to you know you need you need that triangle you need an agent so we got yeah. an agent you need a manager you need a label kind of thing so he went you know and and when i say he is in we all you know him and me especially really ran ran that but but he had those ideas and knew knew what to do so then i'm like okay let, let's go and do that then so yeah. So it was, um, yeah, it's cool. Mm. So once you got that label, was it into the studio to to yeah, record? We'd already done an EP on our own bat. Okay. We'd already done it at nights at, um, at um, an ad agency called Songzoo, where Ray was had a little room there. He was writing ads and stuff in the mm. day. So we went in there and sort of, kind of illegally, kind of like mm. um, after hours, like and recorded our EP over a few weeks, mm. and. Um, and then the label kind of put that out, um, that bought like bought that office, I guess maybe. Mm. And then we quickly went and did a full length album down in Melbourne. Mm. Mm. So what was what was that? What was some of the tracks off that first first album had wasting time again on it? Mm. Um, um, in the summertime, mm. uh, that, someday, someday. Yeah, that one. Um, uh, a song I wrote called Hope. Um, it had. I wish somebody would build a bridge so I could get over myself. Um, <laughs> Such a great name yeah, for a song. Had a song called Claude Monet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and a, a Baby Tell Me I'm the Only One. Uh, My Completeness as yeah. the album opener, yeah. Yeah. And when did, when did, how long did it take from when you released that till it really started to hit? Well, we, we kind of had put a couple of singles out. Uh, My Completeness was one of them, which is pretty prog rocky mm. um, and something else. And then it, it was, it had sort of seemed like it was, we, you know, we got some buzz from it and we did Triple J following a bit. And mm. and then it was going to be like, okay, we'll, we'll wrap it up now. Um, the label kind of like, we'll wrap it up now, um, you know, and then you can start working on the next album and, mm. and all that. And then we put Someday, Someday out mm. and then that blew it wide open. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and then we got like another year of touring out of it or something, yeah, right. something like that. That nearly didn't make the album because we thought that was too pop, you know. We were like indie kids kind of thing you know <laughs> and um and the, i think the record company made us put it on the album something like that yeah right well so okay so with that then if it wasn't something that was going to go on the album and you weren't thinking about it because that song hit did you start writing songs similar to that hoping um, to get that hit again or did you kind n- of stick to your no well, I, th- I think this second album slideshows was more kind of classic rock anyway yep, yep. It's, you know, like we called it as the breakup album, you know, like it had relationships <laughs> and there's more breakup songs on it. It's kind of a common thing. It's the difficult <laughs> second album, but where, yeah, right. you've been watched by the record company and you've got to make sure you have some hits on it kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but it's probably, you know, that's probably a better conversation to have with Ray about about how um, he, he approached that as, as such. But, okay. um, but we, um, um, I, yeah, I remember we struggled. It was It was like a bit more considered we have you know what i mean like the first album is like just just it's easy in a sense you just put everything on there and you just you rock see, it you, see what happens yeah kind of thing there's nothing to lose and <laughs> yeah, yeah. the second album you've got a record deal there and you, you've got some following and so yeah it's more considered and 
um, a little bit more careful. And we got a few mixes done in LA and all that. So it's starting to go to classy town, as our yeah. as our um, recording engineer, our um, producer Lindsay Gravina said. You know, he's a Melbourne grunge guy and he's really indie. And he's like, ah, oh, you'll probably go to classy town on your third album, <laughs> meaning you'll go to LA, which is yeah, exactly yeah. what we ended up doing yeah. on the next album, Mousetrap Park. Yeah. You know, going with Maroon Fire's producer and it was a bit more funky, keyboard based. You know, it was just the way it was going and um, which was the last album with the record label. So in around 2010, we broke, we had an amicable breakup with a record label. Yeah. Because everyone knows the last thing you want when you've got a record deal is a record deal. So <laughs> so we got off that. It was just not working by then yeah. with, with them. You know, they weren't really getting it. They had change of management and the record industry was obviously all it's changing. Starting to change. Really yeah. change. Yep. So, um, so we got out of that and, and uh, we've been independent ever since. Put yep. out a few albums on our own steam. Yeah. Mm, that's cool. Which has been the most, you know, in a way, a really enjoyable um freedom yeah what was it like recording in the big studios over there over... it's great we did um the third album at uh sound city wow we're, right. um we're actually i think we we're one of the last bands to record on that famous neve desk, neve desk that, yeah, that yeah. now is dave grohl's board That's i guess right. yeah, in, yeah. is in their studio oh wow um I think it was the only Neve of that time that had never been moved or something. Mm. So it's like the only one that's been there since the 70s is like Fleetwood Mac and, yep. you know, Rumours was recorded on it and, and uh, Nevermind was recorded on it, yep. heaps of other stuff. Um, and it was great. I'll tell you, it was, um, like I said, it was the Classy Town album where you go to do it with the LA producer and, and all that, who, who was awesome. Um, and we did these rhythm tracks and it sounded really good. And, and you know, so to keep costs down, I, I came back to Australia while uh, after we'd done overdubs and uh, before, you know, after I'd done extra bass tracks and all that, I came back and I was getting back these rough mixes of things. And, you know, it's like, what? The drums have been all pro tooled and shit, you know, mm. which for people who don't know what that is, that's like being straightened out <laughs> where. You know, the swing and swagger is taken out in favour of rigid mechanical computer music, which is great for if that's the music you're making. It's mm. very necessary. But if it's if you're a rock band and you work on the swagger and the swing, yeah. and then you know, like Ben Fold says, some compute, some producer with computers fixes all my shitty tracks. <laughs> Which, but in this case, it wasn't needed, you know. Yeah. Anyway, we had met numerous arguments with uh, with a producer over that very thing. But um, mm. uh, was he right? I don't know. It's it certainly wasn't it wasn't as an enjoyable experience because it was um, it was way more ironed out. You know, the thing is, when you record music, I think you've got to overcompensate on the beginning and. As opposed, like vibe over precision every time is better, yeah. Because it will get straightened. It will even if you don't pro tool it. Every process from you know writing, pre production, rehearsing, basic tracking, overdubs, mixing, editing, mastering, all these, every one of those processes make it slicker. Yeah. So if you haven't got much vibe in it in the beginning, it's going to be completely ironed out by the end. <laughs> yeah. So you know that's that was my most valuable lesson. Since then, and I still aspire to that today, even though more music is 
pro-tooled and straightened out now, you know. If you're making feel music, it's, you know, it's supposed to be about that. It's, you know, you've got to, you've got to go vibe, vibe over precision every yeah, time. Yeah, well, your, your music certainly has the vibe. Yeah, yeah, right. For sure. For sure. Thanks. No worries. Um, so that, with that producer having started to do that to your album, was that the catalyst to, to try and end that relationship with the... No, no, no. That just, it's just the way it was. Okay. Um, you know, and, you know, we, uh, like I said, it was, it was sort of, the writing was on the wall at the record label and it just, it was... We, we ended up getting out of that deal and that was the best thing. Yep. And um, I think we had a bit of a break around that time. We've had numerous little breaks in the band and, mm. you know, um, and some of those times I thought we're going to be the end of the band as well, you know. Like, yeah. But um, it's like a marriage. Once you get over, like, some of the, you know, dumb stuff and um, getting getting on with each other and getting over a different personality things and what other people want to do separately and then – you know, be able to just have the band as and appreciate the band as its own thing, yeah, and and sort of value it. You know, especially as the time goes on, it starts to become more nostalgia rock and all that. Mm. I think once we've we've been getting to that point in the last few years, once you get over that point, it's like, well, we'll just keep it together. You know, mm. and we'll do it sometimes, and we won't do it other times, and that's mm. okay. You know, mm. as opposed to like, oh, is this going to be the last time? It's just like whatever. It's like kind of, you know. It's like I think that's probably probably like being in a relationship for a long, long time, you know. Mm. Not getting into details of it, but I mean, there was that car accident mm. years ago. How difficult was that to keep going? Yeah, yeah. Well, that was one of those times where it was, you know, what are we going to do now, and, yeah. and and all that. We were obviously on tour at the time, and we'd we uh, obviously um, um, we'd. You know, we we lost a crew member, unfortunately and um, tragically. And mix our our drummers. Um, well, his life was you know in the balance for quite a while, really. Um, and then you know, over time, um, it gradually got better. We we gave him the space he needed, and um, and yeah, no, but you know, after after. After the initial, obviously, shock of that, we uh, we felt we and we had his blessing to continue on mm. with the tour with some other guys and mm -hmm. mix still our first call drummer yeah. now. Yeah. Um, and uh, but you know we we've uh, out of that was born some other great relationships um, as drummers. Pete Drummond, who's mm. a one, wonderful drummer, Tim Firth, obviously. Yeah. Um, they all came and then, you know, and that's also that camaraderie of musicians, you know, going around, you know, respectfully kind of like, yeah, I'll come and do the gig, but we, we know it's mixed gig and we yep. can't wait to see him, um, get better. And they yep. were all that, both those guys are very respectful of, of Mick and they know it's his gig and, mm. Um, so, and, and, you know, there was a huge con, we had a huge concert at the Enmore at the time that was raising money for, for, um, that very cause at yep. the time, uh, Mick and and, uh, and also um, Shane's partner. Mm. Um, so yeah, I mean we were we were overwhelmed. I was shocked at the love and support we had yep. around the band at that time. You know, like I mean, I remember having a call from like Barnsey at the time. You know, like the day after, two days after. I didn't really mm. know, didn't really know Barnsey, but um, just having a message on my, I was you know I was wasn't even answering the phone because it was just so devastating. But 
just getting a message from him saying, um, you know, just the Barnes is uh, if you need anything, yeah. and you know, and I don't think no one knows this, but I remember at the time, um, even later on, gear having to get freighted back, and you know, there was obviously a lot of things going on, and uh, I'm pretty sure him or someone around him paid for all this stuff to get moved and didn't wow. didn't say anything just just, yep, just, made it just did it made it happen and mm. so there, there was a lot of lot of support around that time and mm. um and yeah the you know the band um you know i guess in some ways there's some closeness going on with us too which is needed yeah yeah oh, mm. cool man so what's What's happening now? What? What? I mean, you've, you've released your album, mm. and that was that was oh, a couple of months ago. That came yeah, out? Yep. yeah, June. Yep. yep. So, um, and I've seen you've done a couple of shows with that. So, is yep. there plans to play more shows? Yeah, I think the next few things I'll probably do. I, I need to book some um, solo shows as such. I'd love to do more with the band. It's just it's expensive, and it's yeah, you know, and everyone, everyone's busy, and I want to I want to make sure they get pay because it's difficult music it, they need to learn it you know even a really good jazz musician it's kind of I'm, I'm pretty it needs to be a certain way you know um it's not just sort of um groove music or free music or improvised music there's bits of elements in there of that um but it's you know i want it to be sort of like the recordings and parts and and all that so you know i want to pay them properly and everything so yeah. I, I um I I, can't, I wish I could do more is what I'm saying, um, uh, and I should do more. <laughs> but the yeah, the next few things I probably do is a couple. It, it really worked with just the piano and vocal. So mm. I want to do some stuff with a real piano. It's, although it's hard to find a small venue that's got a real piano right. that I don't have to worry about selling millions of tickets to. You know, <laughs> so yeah. I, so that's the next thing to think about is to do a few things like that. I just came back from the weekend and did a. Uh, thing for mental health, uh, mm. which is a subject I'm very passionate about, and mm. it was um, in Mount Gambia called um, Close to Home Festival for local uh, suicide prevention charities, and uh, I played solo there. And you know, because um, Mount Gambia's obviously got a long-standing connection. I've gone back to Generation Jazz many years over since 1997, and um, so it was it was great to spend the weekend there and uh, play with some other musicians. And yeah, cool. Mm. Just on the that whole the whole mental health thing, I mean, I, I've I've suffered an anxiety disorder mm. most of my life, mm. so um, something have to, I have to deal with every day. You know, there's something in it every day. Mm. Um, what you know was fairly obvious during COVID. I mean, we yeah, said we wouldn't talk we... much about COVID, but you know, it it got pretty bad for a lot of people, yeah. and it it still is. How do you think? Um, uh, how do I how do I say this? Do you think there's more support now? Is it? I think in this generation. Yep. I, I think generation as far as uh, you know, um, you know. Firstly, I'm sorry you're going you oh, go through okay. that. No, I I, good, I um I can uh, appreciate it, and I can uh, certainly uh sympath well sympathize not the right word. I can um, relate to it yep. very much. Um, I I. I think um, it's a good thing that guys have been encouraged to talk about that stuff yeah. way, way more. And I know that's, you know, that's a cliche to say that because it's 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 been talked about a lot, which is 
good. That's that's yeah. that's what I'm trying to say. Especially a guy from the country, you know, it was just you don't, don't talk, talk about, about that. You don't and, and you don't talk about that to your parents. Even though my parents are loving, beautiful people, uh, you know, I I didn't feel I could because yeah. it just wasn't part of you know their vernacular or you yeah. know what ever seventeen year old and and you know um yeah I mean my experience with that is um I got sober a few years ago um about four and a half years ago congratulations uh thanks well yeah it's a look at and and it's a uh I mean I say thanks just in a sense of like um thanks for saying that but it's like it's I didn't do it you know it was like it was about asking for help because you know your secrets keep you sick and 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 the mm. and the idea that I can do this myself and I can pull myself out of this is you know a very common uh problem and it keeps you in the problem Absolutely. that's the thing you know and that and that's um that's certainly like that with sobriety and that's certainly like that with any mental health I think yeah. you know like uh, and I'm sure you've got your own experiences yep. with with that. With you know, um, you know, they say the opposite of addiction is connection. The opposite, for you know. Sure. So I think that probably goes for other just other forms of mental health, even if it's not, even if substance abuse isn't part of your story. Um, I, I think I think the opposite is connection, and it's um, um, it, I mean, obviously in my life, it's been a massive, it's been a massive thing. Getting getting sober and in recovery now, and talking about recovery and trying to help other people in re- who are struggling um that's that's been a massive part of my well-being and i'm mm. super grateful and it's it's been it's been everything actually in the last bunch of years and it's mm. it's uh it's driven a lot of material yep. that are right it's all over that um whether it be in active addiction and trying to get out of it or the hope the, and and the hope that that might bring, or actually being in recovery and and um, still writing about the noisy head, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, because uh, that's what it is. And it's but it's acceptance that it's going to be there, then that's okay, you know, as opposed to like, oh no, I'm still having some of those thoughts. It's like, oh okay, that makes sense because I'm like this, even if I'm in recovery, yeah, I'm still got those issues. I might not be drinking or taking drugs, but you know that's and and that's okay and acceptance is 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 a big part of it yeah but it's you know i do a lot of stuff uh from for that for that from my recovery and um it's uh yeah i'm 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 really grateful for the people that have helped me and i'm trying and pass that on oh good on you man that's mm. that's cool that's cool but yeah it's it's a it's a day to day thing isn't it yeah mm. and um yeah the thing with anxiety i i with with this particular anxiety disorder i don't there's no i don't think there's an end to it it's just about managing it yeah yeah, yeah, manage, yeah. managing it that's yeah because right. yeah. it's not gonna like be over that's right <laughs> it's yeah. not gonna end but yeah. you know, but it comes in ebbs and flows yeah 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 you know? but i know but i'm aware in my you know i I'd completely open with my wife about it she knows and i tell her if yeah I'm in a certain yeah 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 part of the ebb and flow and yeah you know yeah yeah but it it, it I still get out there, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and sometimes it becomes. I mean, there won't be any anxiety uh, thinking. There's no thinking to it. It's just a physical uh, reaction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the hardest thing sometimes because 
you can talk yourself down as much as you like, but if that physical feeling is there, mm-hmm. nothing you can do about it. Yeah, yeah. You know, you can try and go for a run or – but then, you know, sometimes you have a beer and it goes away, but yeah, then yeah. that's that slippery slope. That's you know? a slippery slope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that acceptance that it's, that it's never fixed as such yeah. is, uh, you know, that's a big thing though because when you think – when I get over this, it's going to be like this amazing cloud. <laughs> it's like it doesn't work. It doesn't, doesn't work, work like, like that, that, you know. Um, but it's better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's yeah. it, it's better while you by reaching out and asking for help at, for sure. at first, for sure, and surrendering to some help. Hundred percent. And uh, you know, and also having that hope that there might be some way that I can manage this. Yeah, you know, because yeah. other people, because I can see other people who are recovering from this, you know, and, and, and so there must be a way. And they seem to be living happy, prosperous lives to a degree, you know. Yeah. 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 Do you think there's more support post-COVID that you're, that you're seeing for, for, from maybe some of your musician friends? Mm. Um, uh, I think it sort of brought a lot of it to the fore, you yeah. know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, think it's, I think it's been – Talked about more, which yeah. is which is just a good, good thing. I think it just accelerated some people's condition, you know, mm. because because of that isolation is just certainly not not the friend of mm. that, you know, of any form of mental health. And mm. yeah, I mean, look, I, I mostly know more about the addiction side of things, but I think they're 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 very related. And I mean, I know some alcoholics and addicts uh, um, have said it was just anxiety. Um, and yeah. then it's actually addiction, and they're kind of in- yeah. entwined. You know, it's, yeah, exactly. It's a coping mechanism and all that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so I don't want to end it on that. That's all right. Yeah. So, who's your favorite bass player? <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I want to ask you about drummers. Too. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. 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 yeah I totally. mean, being but being a, you know, having, I've heard you play, and you go all right, and and you know you play with some pretty awesome drummers. Like you, you spoke yeah. of Mick and Tim, yeah, and yeah. Pete, yeah. Um, and Evan and Ben and um, you know you played with David and yep. what is it about a drummer for you that as as a bass player yeah. gets, gets you going? Yeah, yeah. I um, if I'm playing jazz with someone, it's about a um, you know someone who's confidently outlining the form, who's playing the music ahead of the ahead of the drums. If you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, you know, there's many guys good at that. Evan Manel's really good at that. Mm. Plays, he's a great drummer, but he's really a musician who plays drums. If you know what I mean? Yep. Um, as are many other guys. You know, deep pocket. You know, I mean, Gordo's got like one of the deepest pockets. You know, certain grooves, especially, it's like you know. Mm. Um, but I, I, I'm so lucky. Like you said, I get to play with all those guys. Mm. Um, when I'm playing jazz, if I'm going to get technical about it, I like a drummer. There's because um, I'm kind of up on the beat when I'm playing, mm. um, I don't want a drummer to be playing up there with me to try and because then it falls over, kind of thing. I understand. I yeah. want someone just to be uh, uh, just kind of there in the center. Yeah. So, um, um, yeah, just just like I said, just groove before anything else. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. And what about bass players? Who were the bass players that you? That, oh, that on records. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, look. One of the first guys I got into was Paul McCartney because, yep. uh, and I, you know, I got my twenty-four fret, big wooden, huge through-neck electric bass, um, and I came home from the shop with that and a Paul McCartney book, you know. And um, I remember I was at my granddad's house, and he's like, 
Are you playing the noise machine again? <laughs> Doesn't even play a tune. <laughs> probably must have sounded pretty bad. Yeah. Um, you know, because oh, I was playing bass lines, I guess, so he just didn't sort of understand it. But uh, I, I was probably also crap, let's be honest. But um, <laughs> anyway, uh, that uh, put James Jamison, yeah. uh, John Paul Jones, um, you know, Stanley Clark and, yeah. and those kind of guys and Jarko. Mm. And then I got into double bass players, um, you know, Ray Brown was my guy, which is a great, just solid, you know, sort of um, foundation. Ron Carter, got into Dave Holland, especially all his solo records. I love those. Um, you know, um, Stanley Clark on them double as well. Mm. Um, and then, that, yeah, lots of piano players. I love listening to piano players for bass and transcribing piano players and playing them on the bass. Mm. Keith Jarrett, guys like that. Yeah. Trumpet players, Winton Marsalis. Mm. You, you played with them, didn't you? I did play with them, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I played a gig in Sydney with Gordo and Matt McMahon for yeah. a, um, it was for an SSO reception thing. We played a 20-minute set. Yeah, it was great. Mm. Amazing. Yeah, mm. cool. So what's the rest of the year, what's in store for the rest of the year? Obviously, the Merck's on a bit of a break. Cause yeah, a couple Ra- of months. Ray's over playing with some guitarist yeah, called yeah. Joe Cetriani or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he's, he's doing that and... Um, I'm doing some producing in here. I'm just oh, cool. um, producing a uh, singer called Heaven She. Mm-hmm. Her name's Jenna McDougall. She was from a band called Tonight Alive, mm-hmm. which were, I think, a fairly big rock kind of band in the noughties, um, or maybe 2010 to 2016 or something. She's doing solo stuff, and I'm producing a couple of tracks for her at the moment. What kind of music is that? Um, it's like singer-songwriter indie rock okay. kind of thing. Yep. Um, she's a really good singer, really good. So doing that, I'm doing some jazz with guys around town. It's, 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 this, I love my life, you know, I I, I love, I love going and doing the Merc for a few months and doing that. And then it's like, it gets a bit, okay, that's enough now. And then it's like, oh, great. I can come back and I can just do some gigs around town with guys I love. I'm playing with Carl Dewhurst on Wednesday nights at the East Sydney Hotel this month, Tim and Carl. Yeah. And, um, uh, some other jazz, a couple sessions, and then the Merc will go on the road again in the end of November, December. That'll take us up to New Year's, and there's a few dates next year. And um, yeah, look, let's take each day as it comes. <laughs> and, uh, on, I'm pretty lucky, and um, I love doing. I like I said before, I still, you know, I still love doing rock and jazz and everything in between. You know, it's it's all the same to me. It's just yeah. music. Mm. Good stuff. Well, Phil, it's been an absolute pleasure, man. Thanks, I've, mate. Yeah, I've I've really enjoyed this. Thanks, Steve. No, thanks for coming on the show, and um, wish you all the best, and can't wait for the next album. Yeah, <laughs> beautiful. Because I'll be listening to yours. By the way, people, the links are in the show notes to, to all Phil's music. Do yourself a favour and go check it out because it's really, really good. Thanks, Steve. Sweet as. See, See you, mate. Phil. Cheers.